0: Are you a musician interested in improving your performance? Welcome to Notes on Jazz. I'm your host, Keith Davis. If you want to learn more about jazz improvisation, harmony, and composition, or just want to improve your piano skills, this is the place for you. We'll be hosting interviews with fellow musicians, offering tips and techniques on study and practice, and lots of other cool stuff. Whatever instrument you play, or if you're a vocalist, you will find something helpful and interesting here. So come hang out with us at Notes on Jazz. All right, welcome to Notes on Jazz. I'm really happy today to have a good friend of mine and a great drummer. Uh, he's not only a drummer, he's a composer. He's an all-around just a great musician, and uh, he's got to have a lot of interesting things to say. So how's it going, Al? It's
1: going good, Keith. Thanks for having me on the program.
0: Yeah, man, thanks for being here. I'm excited to have you here, man.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: I just had one of your buddies on a couple of weeks ago, Martin Bejarano, as I
1: told you. Oh my gosh, if I got stories to tell. <laughs> so uh, Martin and I were roommates uh, in Florida State. Um, and that, you know, where the Florida State jazz program is incredible now. And I it, it was really good back then, but in the formative stages. And I feel like that ensemble with Martin, because we won a couple downbeat awards and started doing gigs with through the bass player that we were working with, he was friends with Marcus Printup and Printup was on Blue Note. So we started doing tours while we were in college. And that was like, not many people were doing that at Florida State where you're like taking off a weekend to go do a date at a jazz club with like a guy who's on Blue Note records. And Martin showed up and was like spectacular. So it's, it's not, it's not surprising to any one of us who've met him. Number one, he's a phenomenal human being, uh, like top shelf human being. And then, uh really wonderful gifted musician like incredibly talented uh but i remember we had a drum set in our apartment and i would come home and he would just be going nuts hitting the drums like crazy playing against a rage against the machine and that was the thing that we first connected with we were always kind of like you know when you're in when you're in an institution there's an aspect of like hey we're doing jazz So don't talk about the fact that I have this incredible love for Soundgarden and Matt Cameron's drumming, or don't talk about the fact that we love riff rock, like Rage Against the Machine, or some of these things. Uh, So it was kind of nice to have someone who is a compadre. There are several of us that were sort of on this fringe of like, yeah, we love studying the Keith Jarrett Trio and Bill Evans Trio. We played so much Trio and just experimented. That was where I fell in love with, like, Piano Trio. and But then we would, like, when we were on our off time, like, you know, loving everything about the 90s in terms of, like, rock and roll. Um, he He came to Charlotte. I was playing at Middle C and doing a whole thing of, like, drummer, songwriter stuff. I did all these arrangements, like basically for like a hybrided quartet. And I did, um, I did an arrangement of the Foo Fighters. Um, I forgot the tune, man, but it was, uh, I did a Foo Fighters tune. I did a Don Henley song and a lot of them I was just trying to get out of four, four. So I arranged these songs like boys of summer by Don Henley. I wrote that I did an arrangement in seven, eight. So I flew Martin in to kind of play on. I was like, I need someone who's going to like take this over the top, you know? And it was just an opportunity for us to jam. And when I picked him up from the airport, he had a Foo Fighters t-shirt on. And it was like, I was like, bro, that's the reason I love you, man. You're like hanging with the elite of jazz and playing with all of them. And you love the Foo Fighters. It's like, it's really refreshing, you know? So he's a great guy. I'm glad you had him on. I'm sure the conversation was awesome.
0: Yeah, I'll have it out there pretty soon. I'm sure you'll good, you'll, good, uh, good. Yeah. I'm sure, you'll dig it. Yeah. So, but let's talk about you, man. Okay. So, would where where
1: would where would you I'm like there. to begin?
0: Well, yes. Tell me how you first. Tell me how you got into music. A lot of this focus here is for young musicians. I'm trying to get young musicians, give them some, you know, some great musicians like you who talk about their experience, how they got into music, and what they think about it. So, tell us. Yeah, awesome.
1: Oh, that's spectacular. Yeah. Um, pretty simple. I I'm a band director's kid, so. My dad, uh, like, growing up, at least the the earliest memories I have would be when we moved to Texas. Um, I'm from Florida. Originally, I was born there. My dad kind of had his first teaching job and then took this kind of 5 or 6A school in the Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I just remember being a kid hanging around the band room and, like, Literally the little guy little Al you know, Al's son, like walking next to the drum line, walking into the high school, you know, football games, listening to the drum line or on a weekend hanging around the band room. And um, uh, I just gravitated to the drums, you know? Yeah. And um so I, I remember being five years old and my dad had gotten me I think I still have it. I won't I won't belabor the point, but I still have this practice pad. It was one of these old Ludwig practice pads. Yeah, yeah. And my dad had got me a practice pad and a pair of sticks and I started making beats on the floor cause the floor kind of had like a kick drum sound and the snare, if I popped it hard enough to pr- So my, I was already making beats when I was five and then it gravitated to my mom's pots and pans and that became problematic. Um, so my dad got me. He just started makeshifting and bringing home like odd drums that they weren't using at the mar- at the at the band room. So I had like this. Looking back, it's spectacular. I had this eighteen inch Rogers kick, which I wish I could get it back, but I, yeah, I because <laughs> it was an eighteen inch Rogers kick. This like I think it was a uh, acrolyte snare. And then the symbol was horrible. It was like a crash symbol from a marching band set. So it's like, yeah. if you think a symbol is pingy, this is the pingingest thing in the world. And it was like a 16-inch. So it just is, you know, and that's all I had. And I had FM radio and a pair of headphones. And so I just started playing along to that. And just, I don't even remember. I just remember loving, it was like, looking back, I think I have like, sub deep in my, con- my subconscious, like, I know Steely Dan. I know all these like 70s songs. Like I legit will be walking through a mall. And if I hear Fleetwood Mac, I start having flashbacks from being in the gap in the 70s with my parents. And then also playing along to it on the radio and not knowing it was Fleetwood Mac. So um that's kind of where the bug started. My dad, obviously being a band director, he was a music lover. So I mean, I grew up with like, Bernstein connect like LPs with like Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Phil uh Buddy Rich's the best of the Buddy Rich big band and then my mom's collection was like Engelbert Humperdinck, Bacon Tom Jones so my life was this hybrid of like highbrow and like just co- working man music you know so I yeah. I find myself gravitating those spaces a lot you know yeah. um my dad did a wonderful thing but it's a time I hated he was when it was getting ready to like. He's like, listen, when it comes to school band, I, you can do drums, but you got to take piano lessons. Like now, so when I was five or six years old, I, I took private piano lessons until I started what would have been like normal school band, which I grew up in a really small town in the in in northwest Missouri, um, and you could start, they started school band at like fourth or f- I think it was fourth grade, which was crazy because it was earlier than like the normal middle school. Yeah. Um, so I started fourth grade band. I kind of stopped taking piano lessons at that point. And so that looking back, it was incredible because that gave me an education that shifted over into percussion, which that's kind of being in a high school band, middle school and high school band program is very formalized, you know, marching band in the fall and then symphonic band. And, um, so, yeah, I I, uh, I did the whole normal band route. I think the biggest thing that would have been the the tipping point outside of my natural just desire to play percussion was my dad. I'll never forget getting a birthday note from my dad. Well, my mom and dad. I got a little birthday card. It was like, hey, this is – a year's private lessons with your dad, you know? So I started taking private lessons because my dad was the director of bands at the college but the percussion instructor. So a lot of the smaller universities, everybody's having to double up. So like the brass guy was the jazz ensemble guy. My, so I would go to the university and uh, that my dad was teaching at Northwest Missouri State and I would take percussion lessons from him. So that led to auditioning for all district, going to all state band. Um, do, getting into programs over the summer. So there was just all this extracurricular stuff. So I, I, uh, yeah, so music was like a really big part of my life and it, just being around my dad. But the thing about it is like my mom and dad never pressured. I have a younger sister who's five years younger than me. It was never like, you're going to be a musician. You're going to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. It was like, Hey this is an op- so I was in sports it, I did drama club I remember doing Lincoln Douglas debate like I just was I was very active in high school but somewhere around my sophomore year of high school I'd played basketball on the freshman basketball team and I just remember having to make a decision I just I just had this realization of like man if I if I really commit myself to this and start really doing some serious practicing I probably could get out of this small town. Not I, looking back, it was wonderful. As a you know, like, it was pretty Mayberry-ish. You know, for those people who haven't watched the Andy Griffith show, it was like small town. Everybody knew everybody's dirty laundry and clean laundry. You know, and it was wonderful. It was very safe. You know, um, so I'm really thankful for that. But there was an aspect of like, man, I I feel like I'm. Why anytime I go to New York, even to visit family, because my fam, my dad's family's from the Bronx we'd go and visit. I just felt like, man, this is it, man. Like I just felt so alive in a bigger environment, bigger atmosphere. And so I I had, I was a dreamer, you know? And so I was like, man, if I'm going to get out of here, not because I don't love my parents, but just to get opportunities. So my sophomore year of high school is when it really clicked. And I started practicing a ton, made the Allstate band, mostly on the legit side. Drum set was sort of like this thing that was like, I did it. I loved it, but my dad didn't really teach me that. So um, I was transcribing with all the like notational information that I learned from my dad. I was kind of a guinea pig for sight reading with my dad. He was like beta nice. testing all these ideas on sight reading and learning that. And um, I just would transcribe stuff like Steve Smith and some of the popular stuff of the day. But uh, yeah, my being a band director's son, my mom was always super supportive. They were just like, they never pushed it on me. I just kind of fell into it. And then... I uh, was real fortunate to get a full ride to Florida State um, to do percussion. So I got out of the state and went back to my dad's alma mater, which really wasn't planned. but um I liked the school because it was a private, it had a it was a school of music. So it had the aspects of an Eastman over Juilliard. But then there was like the capability of having a social life and like maybe meeting people that weren't musicians. So I really appreciated that. I was there for a year. I got my butt handed to me at a jam session, uh, which is an important thing. I, it's because I didn't realize this at the time, but Tallahassee, Florida is in the panhandle. And there's a really happening jazz scene between Jacksonville, Tallahassee, and all the way to New Orleans. That whole line along I-10 is nuts. And so I I was really, I mean, one of the biggest records for me that kind of turned me on to jazz was uh, Art Bla- the, my dad had an LP, The Best of Art Blakey and then the best of buddy rich and so my senior year of high school i remember getting a compact disc player you know big technological advancement and one of my friends gave me j Mood by Wenton marsalis and i put it in the record player and i i put the cd in the compact disc and i put on my headphones and i'd never heard anything so Complex and beautiful and deep, and I'm reading the liner notes. Which, for those of you who are in the digital age, every record, every CD would come with a booklet that had information, and they were written by this man called Stanley Crouch. And I would read them, and they'd be like, "The drummer Jeff taine Watts is channeling da 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 And he would list all these drummers, and I was a young kid, so I'd write all these drummers down on a on a, a card, just like this, Hang on. like these little note cards, you know. And I would fold that thing and put it in my wallet and I was an hour and a half drive from the nearest record store in Kansas City and I would drive down to Kansas City and I would buy, I started just buying records my senior year of high school. And so when I went to Florida State, I was like doing percussion, that was my major, but I'd heard that Marcus Roberts was living in Tallahassee and he was part of Winton's band and I knew that name from buying all the, all, because that was sort of my gateway was Winton's music. In the, it was you know this was in the 90s 1990 is when I was in yeah. my freshman year, so I heard that Herb Harris and some of the guys that were playing in Marcus's band lived in Tallahassee, and my my drum set teacher who was a doctoral student at Florida State named, named Stephen Stephen Hemphill. Stephen was like you should come down to the jam you know and I'm like what's that you know <laughs> I had no idea what it was you know I was kind of like sheltered kid from the Midwest and he's like well. You can sit in because you're my student. So you can just find a tune you want to play. Looking back, I really wasn't prepared for it. You know, like I have I play a jam session here in Charlotte at Petra's every Monday night. And you know, I have students that are taking lessons from me. I teach at Davidson College and at Central Piedmont Community College. And I have a lot of students that want to come sit in. So I've learned from this experience, particularly like, hey, let's let's learn Doxy. Let's learn. Cantaloupe Island, let you know, wherever they're, they, you know, like an easy gravitational pull. So if a drummer's coming to me and all they've played along to is Grateful Dead records, well, we might want to find something that's got a little pop feel to it. But if someone's played a little bit of jazz, we could gravitate that. So I show up cold turkey, white kid just at this jam session. And uh, Marcus m- does hand signals like to communicate to the ensemble because he's blind. phenomenal musician these guys and I sat in on a blues and the whole time I just felt like I looking back I was not happening at all like I literally left there going like why why did I do that I am terrible the drums you know and it was great man because I grew up in a little small town and when you play drum set in a small town and you're like even mediocre Right. You know, you're kind of like elevated, like, oh, do a drum solo. You're in the pet band. You know, it's like all the things. Right. So um, that inspired star. me to go to Berkeley um, because I knew that Jeff yeah. had take. I know Jeff Watts had gone there. Vinny and Steve Smith, a lot of guys that I was aware of had gone there. And it gave me an opportunity to go to Boston. And that was a game changer because I auditioned at Florida State and got in the second big band. And then um, I'll stop talking after this. But because uh, I'm sure you got another question. But this is how it basically how it all happened man it's like i went to berkeley and i studied specifically with john ramsey john was one of alan dawson's students alan dawson is was an incredible instructor and the more you look back at the pedagogy of drum set education um he did some things that really took what was sort of like learning by rote and codified it in a way to where like it influenced john riley it influenced ed so it, it was literally the the jettison for drum set education and really starting the process of like formally being able to educate people in a jazz about jazz, about jazz rhythm, the evolution of that. Um, but in a formalized context, which is very helpful when you're teaching at a collegiate level, if you're just showing up and taking lessons, you can still learn the in music by just transcribing. But when people want to get into, in, into academia, there's a lot of things that need to be codified and i don't know that a lot of people know that alan dawson was one of the originators to take sort of the world of snare drum right and take these snare drum books and begin to creatively use it to teach someone how to comp with their left hand and start to have these not just coordination to play the jazz music but also the interdependence because there's a lot of codependent i'll get into i won't get into that but there's a lot of interdependence that has to happen in drumming you know, and I think a lot of drummers, we have to be, give a lot of grace to ourselves because a lot of the drumming situation up to that, like to do a double stroke roll or a paradiddle, there's codependence that happens. Our right and left hands have to coordinate in such a way that they're one unit. Whereas interdependence, when you're playing jazz, these your limbs need to function and create a, one thing, but they have to be very independent in what they're presenting, depending on the style. So Alan was... I couldn't afford to do all of that because Berkeley, I didn't get any scholarship. I was there in 91. Abe Laborial Jr. was there. Johnny Rabb was there. Melvin Butler was there who went on to play with Brian Blade Fellowship. So there are a lot of cats that were there that are still people that I know. And um, I got into a, a really good ensemble. Matt Garrison was the bass player in the ensemble I was in. So I just, I, I, again, I was like just some really cool things. And then studying with John was like an eye-opening experience to like yeah. Really, woodshedding at that time the things that I needed to woodshed. I ran out of money, and this <laughs> yeah. was for those of you who are watching. I mean, it's 2023. The idea that people didn't have mobile devices is probably insane to you. Yeah, right. But like my percussion instructor, it blows my mind. I mean, you know, I I um I'm of a particular faith. I, I I'm not really an evangelical type of person, but you know, sometimes you just got to look out there and just realize there were some things happening that. I couldn't control that. We're really just, I'm super grateful. Like my percussion instructor from Florida state who was one of Saul Goodman's students, who's a, was the New York Philharmonic timpanist for forever. So this guy's a heavyweight. He calls me and leaves me a message. Like found my number, calls me and leaves me a message at Berkeley. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And, uh, literally like, man, he's like, Hey, we'd like to offer you, we'd love for you to come back. Offered me more money because they had won the state, like the national football thing. So a lot of non-majors were coming. So I started teaching then uh, as an undergrad, non-major undergrads. I made the top ensemble. That's when Martin showed up. So what would have been my junior year in college is when Martin Bayerano showed up as a freshman. And we just instantly connected. This is FSU. Yeah, I I went back to Florida State. Yeah. In the middle of that. I had auditioned and totally forgot that I auditioned for Carnival Cruise Lines. <laughs> and because um, there was this cat that was my dad. He was the jazz ensemble instructor at the school that my dad was teaching at, the college. And I'd come home from Berkeley for winter break. I'll never forget. He's like, hey, you got to make a demo cassette and a resume and send this guy down to Carnival. He's looking for musicians who, like, you know, are are together. You know, you got to be able to play, but they're really having problems with guys you know, doing the job and not drinking too much or this, that, and the other, you know, right, right, right. I'm like, well, I, I don't do any of that stuff, man. So, um, so I, uh, so I audition, I forgot all about it. I get home and I wasn't sure what I was going to do for that summer of 92. And I got the job playing for carnival cruise lines. And It was crazy. Cause the, uh, I met guys from Harry Connick's band. So for those of you who don't remember, like Harry Connick would have been, like the Michael Blue Blay of the 90s. Like he did this movie, Harry Met Sally, and he just exploded in popularity. So the fact that these cats were like coming off of Harry Connick's gig and they had been on this like really popular big video that put on VHS tape of his band live, they were a killer band. And these guys were in the big band I was in. <laughs> so I get, I'm 20, and the next oldest cat in the band is like 30. <laughs> and I've got this gig right out of Berkeley, and I've been shedding my butt off. And so it was like this one-two punch of like learning all this stuff from John at Berkeley, and then getting this gig where cats are like a stack of CDs because they were all the brown paper charts like, you know, Nestico and all that bassy stuff. Yeah, right. And I remember the lead trumpet player who's still a friend of mine and the dean at the music school at Nyack now. Um right. I saw him this last year when I was in New York playing at Carnegie and, and he, I told him this. I'm like, man, you changed my life because he literally came into my room at the on the cruise ship and was like, his stack of records, Keith, a stack of CDs like 12 inches off the table and just went, you need to learn these. You don't need to be in the charts. And it was like the first time where I'd kind of had like an in uh, a mentor, you know, just like, man, do this. This is, you know, so went back to Florida State graduated I fell in love that summer and that's why I moved to Charlotte and that's where I live now so um, I the nice thing about Florida State was I finished my undergraduate and uh, we had some really good things happening with the jazz ensemble and they were wanting to have a drum set program started so I ended up staying and being a grad assistant and finishing my master's degree so um, that was really great and looking back again that was just a really awesome window it was like yeah. it was just kind of made available for me and uh looking back it's been wonderful i i had you know debated about whether i should stay in school or not when i did the 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 carnival cruise line gig because all those guys were like man you should move to new york we could get you connected and looking back that might have been awesome i could have always gone back to school but i think you know i don't know if i'd have been able to go back to school and come out with a master's degree with no debt i mean i didn't have to pay for anything you know so it was really fortunate and that's been really instrumental in like being here in charlotte and being able to teach because i really love teaching and uh just having that master's degrees really open some doors so that's how i got into music and currently i'm playing with i i currently play with a, a whole bunch of different artists and different genres and i teach at a couple colleges and life's really good so yeah that's great man yeah it's very inspiring to hear their story man so i thought you were at miami for a while too is that not right no, I I, uh, I I never studied at Miami. I uh, I was always at Florida State, and Martin went to Miami. Yeah, Martin. Martin finished, Miami. I think, I know he finished his undergrad at Florida State, and I don't know if, because uh, when we were together, he was getting calls from Ignacio Barreau. I remember we were rooming together, and he got a call from Ignacio to go do the Modern Drummer Festival, and that was sort of the beginning of Martin, kind of getting connected in New York yeah. with Leather Cats, and then I think he moved to New York, and then Martin went to Miami to do his masters, yeah, and now he's it. on it's faculty awesome. there. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. Just before we go to the next topic, I'll tell you you were mentioning Alan Dawson. I had the opportunity to hear Alan Dawson live in a club in Boston when I was at Berkeley, and I sat with his hi hat between my knees. That's how close <laughs> I was to him, you know, and sat <laughs> That's and amazing a like, whole night just watching him. Man, his his motion of playing the drums was just so like relax. Yes. And perfect. And yeah. John, it was, just, it was beautiful to watch. I have that book, John Ramsey's book that he did of Alan Stuck too. That's really,
1: yeah. Right. So that, that's a really great book. And then when I was studying with John, like he taught me all of that stuff that's in the book, that was sort of our curriculum, you know, mm-hmm. cause he was sort of a disciple of Dawson and that I kind of, I also, John, it's crazy. John was, The when art decided to start singing, (laughs) uh art had a big band, right? And the Marsalises were in that, and art started to sing, and he needed another drummer in the band, and that was John. Well, so John also wrote this incredible book on Art Blakey, and I have like he was working on it when I was there, so I actually have all these like handwritten notes and stuff because we were studying that stuff too. So John's great, man. I haven't stayed, I haven't stayed in contact with him. At all, but I, I I don't know what he's. I I think he's still at Berkeley, but yeah, Dawson. That stuff changed my life, yeah, you know. Yeah. So definitely a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, man, tell me about how you approach teaching and what you recommend to students. That kind of aspect of what you do, you know. I know. Oh yeah, lot, for sure. So you've got a lot of experience, and that be. Yeah,
1: hard. I. Well, first I try to meet. You know, I drums. I boil it down to three things. Um, there's sticking rhythm and then orchestrating it. So I try to keep it very simple, like, you know, rights and lefts are sticking and there's combinations, infinitum combinations. And then rhythm, I, I, I'm currently working on a book, uh, to help with this. Uh, but I've rhythm is a really, obviously a very important thing for any musician, but for drummers. It needs to move from a place of like you're counting things to like you're reading it like you're reading a book. Um, so I I try I focus a lot on that because then when we pull all that stuff together and we start orchestrating it around a kit a drum set of any size, um, all of that stuff I, I I it now the reference point is it's more relevant, but I used to say I'm a little bit like a Mr. Miyagi from the karate kid. You know, I'm not necessarily having kids wax floors or hang their coats up, but I definitely feel like, um, I try to let my students know, like, listen, um, there's, there's a lot of guys are going to teach you hacks. They're going to teach you grooves. They're going to teach you by rote. And that's wonderful. And that's one way to approach the instrument. But the way I was taught was, um, you don't just cook a meal for somebody you show them how to cook Yeah. so it's like i i want to make sure that i'm sh- at least getting some context of rhythmic vocabulary and reading um and i've figured out ways to help people that have no background in rhythm education like they don't know one Ianda or anything like that i've figured out little ways to backtrack maybe put some training wheels and get ourselves there because ultimately i want my students to walk away and be able to educate themselves you know i feel like teaching i don't know what the quote is i feel like my i'm still excited i'm still privately taking lessons um for and and i'm i've studied with john riley i'm currently taking some lessons from dave elich and uh and i anytime i get off a lesson that i'm in I, I just am so energized to go like take that experience and create that experience with my students. So, sticking, rhythm, uh, orchestration, and then orchestration is kind of like, well, that's that orchestration can lend itself to, okay, we, we'd like to focus on swing or jazz. Um, I'd like to be a really great rock drummer. I'd like to be a really great, you know, depending on the focus of the student. Um, I just like. All sorts of different styles of music. Yeah. So I've always, I've always practiced a variety of different styles. So I think that's helpful too. Is that I'm very interested. There's some music that I'm like, eh, no thanks. Um, Not. It's just not my particular love. You know, uh, country. I just some of it. I just don't. You know, I don't because I. If I'm gonna listen to a song that has lyrics, I like people that are a little more poetic, like a Peter Gabriel or a Bjork um ryan adams guys like that like songwriters you know um so i i when i'm teaching i i always try to have goals with my students you know and then everything i said before based on what they'd like to accomplish Mm -hmm. um if it's a private student obviously there's some subjectivity to that um within the university context I think it's the same thing, you know, unless they're in an ensemble, you know, the community college I'm at, they don't have ensembles. So it's a little more subjective and like, well, what's your goal? Well, my goal is to get into a four year institution. Cool. Well, that's our goal. Um, With some of my other students, the goal is we're really trying to hone in on what they're going to be doing in their jazz ensemble. Um, But I really try to like have a goal each semester or with any student and move them that direction in a in a way that I would consider is holistic to the craft of drumming like let's have really good tech let's have let's have good technique good posture you know let's be versatile so um yeah i try to keep it i try to be open-ended but at the same time i always end up coming back to what i call the perennial truths of drums which are like sticking rhythm and and then moving around the kit in the most fluid way possible and uh so yeah that's where i that's kind of where i start
0: gotcha that's great So I'm trying to, I'm doing a little thing with the setting here. The problem. getting a little, a little bit of a buzz from time to time when you're talking. I'm not sure where that's coming from.
1: Okay. Let me check my audio level. It's probably me talking too loud. It might be that, or it might be me
0: having my, uh, my speaker up too loud.
1: Yeah. It doesn't look like I'm peaking on volume level. So,
0: you're on Zoom. So, are you seeing that on? Okay, I see what you mean. I see.
1: Yeah, I'm going to my audio settings and looking, and it's not peaking in the audio settings when I'm talking. So, yeah,
0: okay, it's cool. I think it might just be your speaker. I turned it down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. I'll edit that out, of course. No problem. Yeah. So that's, that's great, man. Very good. Uh, that, like I said, this is a lot of the stuff is focused on younger students. I want to want to give them some, uh, some pointers on how to learn what, what we, what they have, you know, how to learn and how to find a good teacher is another important aspect, you know?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, we live in this age of like satur. we're saturated with content. And a lot of that content is it's, it's, um, it's clickbait, you know um and i'm not going to be negative but there's a lot of people that are incredible players that are not necessarily good at teaching because you know like they may be able to do these incredible things but can they are are they able to take you where you're at and make you the best you that you can be because the last thing i mean it's great to emulate players that's where every every person starts in a place of like imitation and uh mimicry i mean that's wonderful and then in that i'm a big fan of like hey man just own it like if you want to sound like brian blade or vinnie caliuta or you know ronnie Venucci, you know from the killers like whatever genre of music you're in go for it like go all in like drop like analyze their drumming their drum sounds uh if it's elvin jones you know i mean do a deep dive you know, I mean I and go for it because in the midst of like imitating that player, you will then find your own voice. Right. You know, um, and and that's in it I think a lot of people, you know, and I understand that it's like we're all like we are all individually unique. So it's kind of impossible for you to be Elvin Jones because you're not Elvin Jones. But that doesn't mean you can't be you. Like Mark Julian is a huge Elvin Jones fan and there's elements of his playing. He's an incredible musician and such a kind guy. And, but I don't think he sounds like Elvin Jones, but there's elements of his, there's elements of his phrasing and the organic side of like, when he starts he's like a rhythmic master. I mean, the guy's incredible, but I know he's a massive Elvin Jones fan. So he probably did a deep dive. And in that, in that, that like imitation to like, it, the, the what the the uh, the end journey is. We have Mark Juliana. He did the work. Yeah, you know. Right. I remember hearing Brian Blade. I think it was a podcast, and they were like, "Well, Brian, what would you tell younger players about learning music?" And he's like, "Find ten records that you love, and study ev- mm-hmm. the entire record, top to mm-hmm. finish. I mean, just know the record." Like, and I started. I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, okay. I definitely know Bright Size Life. I can sing along to every solo. I don't necessarily know that I've broken down Bob Moses' drumming. You know, I started kind of thinking about records that have been those, like, go-to records all the time, whether it's any genre of music. But I think that's a really good thing. You know, even – so I, I think with um, – I think that's a good point about teachers. That's the thing I'm trying to say. I mean, because I've studied with some guys that are really incredible jazz drummers online. I've taken lessons with them. And I look back and I was like, they, they really weren't good at communicating the information. It was more like, hey, I'm doing this. Right. And I'm just like, I, you know, I don't know how to get to that point. Like, right. you know, um, so but and the, but there's a lot of guys that are really good, like John Riley, the lesson I took with him. Unbelievable. So, yeah, you want to find. I mean, when you get to a certain level, I mean, there's certain basic things, but when you get to a level of advanced high school or college, it's really important to find someone that's almost like a coach, you know, where it's not, they, you know, they are obviously, they are kind of subjectively meaning person in a personal way, helping you at your place become the best you can be. Um, And I, I I, I, just, I want to stress that because a lot of what good good teaching we're not machines so there's not this press right. where I can just like and just press somebody that hey do this the same thing that the last guy there are some perennial truths to, I'm sure to piano there's piano what I mean by perennial is like they're a flower right they they come up annually you don't have to replant them there are things that we can't get away from like if you're gonna play drums you should know the rudiments um you know and there's a whole other other a whole other things that you should be looking at so when i say perennial truths they're just basic things that you're not going to get away from that you will have to come back to that you need to spend time on and most teachers most drum i've found a lot of drum teachers don't teach that you know um so uh, a lot of guys are like hey play this beat and then no one can read music and you're kind of stuck it's like if a doctor's just giving you medicine and not teaching you how to take care of yourself, you know, and eat properly and things like, um, preventative versus like symptomatic, but those are big words. But I think getting the right teacher most play. And when you're young, you're not going to know that. I was just really fortunate that my dad was teaching me. And then he kind of knew the right people to get me with. Um, Like if I'd have gone to some music store, I don't know that I would have known any different, you know? So, uh, but yeah, when you get to a certain level and you're choosing colleges or choosing place, choosing places to go, like, yeah, you want to make sure that you that that person's going to be there that they they're going to help you get to where you want to be as a player. Right, so, absolutely. yeah, that's great, man.
0: So the next thing I'd like to ask you about is I want to hear what you're doing. Tell me about your projects that you're involved in.
1: Yeah, so I'm currently um I'm I um I've, I've maintained performing with a guy named Jason Upton. He's a singer songwriter, and another guy named John Mark McMillan um i'm just really fortunate these guys are kind of outliers uh i am i i am of the christian faith again i'm not really evangelical about it uh but these guys are in that genre of music but are really not they're very indie and they're both very poetic and i've always loved poetry um currently reading a guy by the name of david white and i just I'm very fortunate to work with him, so I'm 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 able to like bring my creativity of not just rhythm and drumming, but just overall like how do we like atmosphere of a track. So uh, that's really fun because I've been involved in like the studio and a, a lot of when you're drumming as a drummer in a studio project or with original artists, you have this opportunity to kind of put a beat on a song, you know, or, or, or enhance the song. And that's the song, you know, that a lot of people are going to hear and that's the beat. Yeah. And so you show up at a place and someone's playing that song and they're playing your rhythm that you play, <laughs> you know, the thing that you made up. So I like that, you know, where I kind of get an, op- an opportunity to do something that uses my creativity. And so I've been fortunate to do that. I also play with a cellist and a vocalist named Shauna Tucker um got a residency coming up with her in colorado she's she calls her thought uh she calls her stuff chamber soul because she literally is playing cello uh, and singing like at the same time and she's really wonderful at both she writes a lot again she's an original songwriter we do a lot of covered arrangements of some cool like selected covers or like not standards i mean she does bye bye blackbird but like we might do um uh, What's Love Got to Do by It? She's got a really good version of What's Love Got to Do with It. I think that's something like Tina Turner. It's an old hit that Tina Turner had. Yeah. Cool version of that. But then she's a songwriter as well. So I find myself a lot in the songwriter space. The cool thing about Shauna is that we're switching gears. Like I'm playing a samba, I'm playing a Latin tune, I might be playing some derivative of a Brazilian rhythm, but I'm using broomsticks and a shaker, and then I'm playing a Full on pop groove, but everything, it's a cello player, y'all. So yeah. it's like yeah. there's that string. So it's like your dynamic has to be that much lower. Um, juxtapose that to like my recent Instagram post. I was I was playing with a rock artist and his name's Trent Thompson. He's an incredible frontman song, songwriter. He's local to Charlotte, really hasn't broken out yet, but he will. And that's like Foo Fighters. So I have, I, 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 I really I mean, I'm I have a friend of mine is like, you kind of always wanted to be I always wanted to be like as as a drummer, I always felt like it was a really opportunity. I mean, like, I, I was able to switch I, I have a lot of different interests. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, my education on the drum set came through jazz. But at the same time, I was listening to all sorts of the pop music, you know, like, it's always been really intelligent pop, like Radiohead, Soundgarden, it's bands that are like saying something like i'm not i'm not like yeah i'm not gonna get into that but like so i'm i i switch gears a lot so i've got a lot of freelance work i'm doing um i do remote tracking here in my studio um and so that's been a cool education to learn about microphones and i just updated my system uh to where um for those of you who are kind of techie like i have 12 channels of pre preamp, and I run it through univer- my universe, I have two universal rack, audi- universal rack, uh, universal audio rack units. And so what's wonderful about that is it comes with I, I'm i then I have all these plugins that I can put on top of the drum. So if the drums sound good, then I enhance them a little bit. So the tracks that I'm sending back now to clients are just, it's over the top, you can't even tell it's really from this tiny little space. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, and At at 51 years old, it's been awesome to kind of learn how incredible YouTube is. There's so much information out there Um, in a good way. Um, I think a lot of the content that's drum oriented is still kind of, it can be a little bit clickbaity where it's like really fast chops and all this stuff. And um, I'm just, I think, I think being a good musician is a lifetime, you know, and there's no life hack on it. It's just, you've got to do the work and my dad used to say this to me and I think it's a really wise statement I didn't you know when you I think it's your late 30s you start realizing man, my parents were really smart Uh, but uh, so that's a good tip like if you don't think your parents are cool just wait till you're up in your late 30s it'll get better Um, but I remember my dad saying you know Alfred like the key to mastery is repetition one key to mastering something is repetition but within that repetition You've got to have an element of creativity to be coming back to the same things. And I think that's where instruction, going back to instruction, Keith, I didn't say this, but I think that's where teachers can, like having the right teacher, it's like how many times can we come back to this thing that you need to work on where you don't get bored of it? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like how many different ways can you run scales? Like it's a lot, it just depends on whether you have the creativity or you have the right influences in your life to help you come back to these things that are essential parts of being a really good musician. Absolutely. So that was a really cool thing. Um, so that's been cool because I'm learning the recording process. I've always been involved a in bit, but now I'm on this side. Um, I am getting ready to start i um, I've always wanted to do a loop package, which loop packages are where you're you're just recording grooves and sound samples uh, for people to use and buy in like a 35, you can buy, you know, $30 and you get all these different drum loops at different, uh, meters. I've had people approach me and ask me to do that for a long time. And I'm finally going to do that, but I've been trying to find a way to, um, enhance that with an educational component. So what I'm calling it, I'm calling it mode four studio. So it's M O D and the O has a line over the top for the long O. So it's mode four studio. And it's going to be basically taking genres, uh, particular albums by particular artists and deep diving on them and analyzing the grooves, transcribing the grooves, and then creating sound samples that are uh, basically the documentation of me deep diving into these things and microphone choices, drum choices, symbol choices, and recreating these grooves as sample packages for people to use. The first one I'm jumping into is, uh, um, <laughs> I'm jumping into one of my favorite hip hop artists from the nineties, uh, Tribe Called Quest. And I've already transcribed all the grooves from low end theory, and I'm working with a producer to reproduce all those drum sounds. So that's that's coming soon. And then I'm currently working on a book. um, I'm working on a book that is sort of revamping my dad's unfinished PhD. Uh, I'm pretty sure he started his PhD and didn't finish it because it was just just too much to be a full-time teacher and have two kids and be a dad. And and then try and get a PhD. So he never finished it. But it was basically on sight reading, and the connectivity between rhythm as language, like the way we read words, and the way we read music should be the same thing. And uh, so I've started that process. And it really, I literally was looking back at my notes uh, from my lessons with john Ramsey. And john told me this story. And he and I and it, this art Blakey quote is sort of the premise of the book, art would often say, John, you got to hear with your eyes and see with your ears. And I feel like a lot of musicians with rhythm, uh, or notes, right, there's this aspect of like, we read silently books, or we're, you know, but we don't equate the idea of like rhythm, as a language, and we say, well, well music is the universal language, but none of us are reading in- rhythm, like, as if it's words on a page you know, like when I see a musical phrase or I see a rhythmic phrase, I hear it in my head and then I execute that. So there's no breakdown in the neural, the neural pathway. And so, um, so I'm working on a book, like I have a book that I'm working on for that. And it, it's, uh, it would be intended for like, you could be, you know, if you've got an advanced, like middle school, middle school, all the way up to college. Cause you know, I, I have kids at the community college that come in and, good players but they're like I really need to learn how to read music yeah. you know so I don't think it's just I think it's kind of ageless in a way yeah. it's kind of one of those things that it could be used in the any time, the academic setting or for someone that's one so I've got those projects ahead of me and pretty stoked about it I've got a, I've got some hefty goals for 2023 but nice. just making some good choices and excited about it so
0: yeah that's great yeah, awesome. I know you play locally too and uh that's how I've how we've met each other. I've played with you some gigs with you and did a recording session, things like that. But anything local that you might want to mention?
1: Yeah, I'm an active uh participant. So, first of all, if you're ever in Charlotte and you want to hit a jam session, uh we Monday night, they have the Bill Hanna Legacy Jam and it's hosted by Ziad Rabi, who's a tenor saxophone player in town. Ziad is one of many students that were uh, taught by a man named Bill Hannah, who's kind of a legend. He is kind of a legend in Charlotte. He's passed away. And so this jam session is in his honor because he used to host a jam session every Monday. So it's at Petra's, Petra's Bar, which is in Charlotte. It's in the Plaza Midwood area. It's every Monday night from 730 to 10. And anybody can sit in. Uh, And then I'm a regular contributor to the Jazz at the Beckler series, which is at the Beckler Museum. And that's the first Friday of every month in Charlotte. Um, I do about half of that series. I share that with some other really wonderful drummers. Um, And then I have my own band. I'm I'm kind of, uh, I'm writing right now to do a new record. So I'm kind of waiting to put out, waiting to do some shows. But I have my own thing called the Fortet, which is a specific project that's uh, like four members and it's written more straight ahead. And then my other music, which just says my name, Alfred Sergal Four. Um, that's more my blending of pop and rock, which like I, I've really been working on where I sing and drum. I'm adding in some vocals, um, kind of catering to those influences that I've had more in the fusion world and along with like my love for Peter Gabriel, uh phil collins a lot of really good pop and blending those two worlds so the last single it was called the falling out and i was able to get some good friends on the project so tim lafave was playing bass Uh, tim has played on the last bowie record you know so and i just happened to know him so i asked him if he would play on it and he was spectacular and then martin who we've been talking about talked about earlier martin bejarano played on it so it features those guys it's my original song i'm singing and playing drums um, and it's real fusing of sort of like, a, a like a, a intelligent pop with like some really killer jazz musicians who both like Tim is in definitely in the jazz scene, but also in the pop scene. Martin's definitely more in the jazz scene, but has a love for pop. So I just kind of brought guys together. And yeah. so I'm still writing a lot, but yeah, locally Petra's Beckler. And then in time I'm, I, I, I am involved with jazz art, Charlotte, I'm on staff there, I teach there and then when they have performances that i'm available to do i usually am involved in some of the jazz arts charlotte which is run by oc and lonnie davis great educational program so yeah i keep pretty busy but i think most musicians it's kind of a you know kind of a necessary necessary yeah, thing absolutely man
0: yeah well man this has been just great talking to you i'm so i really appreciate you doing this uh, anything you'd like to say in closing anything else
1: no, I just, yeah, I would like to just encourage you guys, uh, if you are, like, yeah, I, 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 sometimes it sounds kind of like, okay, I grew up as a musician's kid. I have met so many people that didn't grow up in musical families who just had a dream and and, and were willing to ask questions. I can't, exp- I, I, this is kind of my thing right now, but I feel like with all the content that we're being inundated with i just want to encourage people if you're a student out there you don't have to know it all yeah you don't have to know it all the reason why i I, i'm so i'm a curious person i ask a lot of questions i'm still taking lessons i'm learning a whole nother thing right now on the drums and it's like i'm 51 i've been doing music professionally for 31 years and i just want to tell you like I feel like a lot of the anxiety that i feel with students and some of the uh, you know just cultural things not to get too deep but within our culture there's so much content i feel like there's a lot of students feel like they need to know it or they need to they should know it because it's out there and that's not true and you don't need to think that way people like keith are available i'm available other instructors that you have are available and you should ask questions because that's how you learn and I just want to encourage that because yeah. I've seen a lot of people that are not, you'd never think we're super talented. They put in the work, they put themselves in positions to ask the right people. And one of my friends, you know, one of my friends in particular is like on the universal record label as a solo classical artist. I mean, you know, no one would have thought this particular person would have been at this level. And it's like he put in the work, he put in the time he's he 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 got good at the business as well but he I just I can only stress that like if you really want this there are people out there that want to help you uh, and you just need to be willing to do the work and ask questions and and there's a lot of people out there that are willing to answer those and help you and that's what I think that's why I like to teach that's why I like education and that's kind of probably my mantra right now is like man ask questions I just feel a lot of students when I'm in the classroom, I teach a lot of different in-person classes and I just, I'm like, why didn't you ask me? You know? And a lot of people, there's a lot of fear in that right now because there's so much information out there. I feel like even I have three adult age daughters and I feel like sometimes they don't want to ask questions. So that would be my, my ending statement is like, y'all, if you want to learn, ask questions and it's okay to ask questions. That's what people, that's how you learn about people. That's how you build relationships. That's how you learn. So I, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like it's okay to be curious and ask questions, you know. And if you ask a person and they're mean, there's a whole lot of other people that you can ask and just leave that person exactly.
0: behind. <laughs> exactly. Right on, man. Right on. Yeah. Don't waste your yeah.
1: time, man. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me on, Keith. Yeah, so good to see you, man. I, I hopefully yeah, we'll get a chance to play again soon. Yeah, I hope so too, man. And uh,
0: thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for checking out Notes on Jazz. If you want to communicate with me, I offer free consultations. Just check the podcast notes for a link. You can also find a link to my website for CDs, downloads, and videos. See you next time at Notes on Jazz.